MSW Media. Thanks to Thrive Cosmetics for supporting the Daily Beans. Get luxury, high-performance cosmetics that highlight your best features. For every purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive. Go to thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans for 15% off your first order. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, April 6th, 2023. Today, Mike Pence will not appeal the district court ruling compelling him to testify before a federal grand jury. Liberals win big in Wisconsin and Chicago. Governor Gretchen Whitmer signs a bill repealing Michigan's abortion ban. Elon Musk labels NPR as state-run media on Twitter. And a judge says he's inclined to force the testimony of Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch in the Dominion lawsuit. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, hello, Wisconsin. We fucking did it. Beans come true also today, by the way. I was hoping that Janet and and Dina Nina would win. They did. Liberals won big. The Chicago mayor race. We'll talk about that in a minute. But also beans come true today in the Mike Pence testimony before Jack Smith's special counsel. Pence did exactly what I thought he would do. And I'll cover that a little bit today on the beans, too. But we'll do that more in depth this weekend with Andy McCabe on the Jack podcast. And once again, I have to just say congratulations to Dina Nina Martinez, who I interviewed on this podcast. Just This is just one of the historic victories won by Dems in Wisconsin this week. We fucking did it. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So this past week, I speculated, I posited, I put some beans on the fact that I didn't think Mike Pence would appeal Judge Boesberg's decision, the D.C. District Court, compelling Pence to testify to a federal grand jury in his Pence's speech or debate clause fight, right? He was saying, I am a legislator. You can't make me testify. As you know, Pence was challenging Jack Smith's subpoena. Jack Smith, special counsel, investigating January 6th and the overturning of the election by by Donald Trump. He subpoenaed him and Pence was fighting that using the speech or debate clause which is a part of the Constitution, which shields members of Congress from being questioned about stuff they do in the line of duty as a member of Congress. Now, Trump also filed to block Pence's testimony, citing executive privilege. He lost that battle. He's appealing. He lost. He's going to lose again. But in the speech or debate clause fight, the judge decided Pence won a little bit, that he was right. He set the precedent that, yeah, uh, you can be considered a member of Congress shielded by speech or debate clause and not be asked to testify or ask any questions about your role that day or what you did, right? But he does have to testify, according to Judge Boesberg. And this is a sealed proceeding. This is from people who, with knowledge of the matter, right? We haven't read the ruling. But uh, Boesberg decided Pence does have to testify about everything Jack Smith wants to ask him, including Pence's discussions with Trump leading up to and on January 6th, and any discussions with Trump where Trump was trying to commit crimes. Jack Smith doesn't give a shit about Pence's role as president of the Senate that day, except maybe to ask him about why he changed the language when calling the votes. Remember that? How he changed, like when he said, open Alabama, blah, blah, blah. He changed the language there a little bit to sort of protect himself. So I guess in changing that language and 
giving those instructions, calling for the votes, uh, I assume he wouldn't have to answer any questions about that. But uh, anyway, I, he, he got a little bit of a win. Pence got a little bit of a win. He got to say he, he is protected by a little, um, like a tiny sliver of, uh, under the speech or debate clause. Uh, but I say there's no way he appeals this to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals because he, he won a little bit. He got a partial win. And he could tout that to people, right? We even speculate that it was Pence's team that put out the news about the decision that Bozberg made so that he could come out and say, I won, I won, everybody, look, I fought the government on this. Trump supporters, you should love me. So I'm like, he's not going to appeal that decision because if he appealed, he'd risk a total loss. And then he'd be like, oh, I lost. And then it would kind of look like he didn't win something. And I didn't think Jack Smith would appeal either because he gets to ask Pence everything he wants to ask him. But Pence gets to appear as though he fought and won something so the spineless bastard can ride the fence between Trump supporters and moderate Republicans. Well, we learned today that Pence has decided officially not to appeal the decision by Judge Boesberg, just as I suspected. In fact, Team Pence backs me up here. They say, the court's landmark and historic ruling affirmed for the first time in history that the speech or debate clause extends to the vice president. Having vindicated that principle of the Constitution, Vice President Pence will not appeal the judge's ruling and will comply with the subpoena. He took his tiny W and went home. Excellent. And now he can take his tiny W and go and testify before the federal grand jury. I will go over this huge win for special counsel Jack Smith along with whether Pence might take the fifth. We're going to talk about all that. And if he does, what happens? We'll talk about all that on the next episode of Jack with me and Andy McKay about this Sunday. Next up, way to go, Wisconsin. We fucking did it. Janet Protasewicz won the most expensive state judicial race in American history, and it's an election with consequences, huge consequences, pro-democracy consequences. After more than a decade in the wilderness, Politico writes, Democrats are picturing a future where Republicans don't have an automatic lock on state government in one of the country's most important swing states. And importantly, a liberal court is widely expected to knock down an 1840s-era abortion ban that's been on the books and only revived after Roe v. Wade fell last summer. Perhaps the biggest impact will be in the state's legislative congressional delegations. Despite the close to 50-50 makeup of the state, Republicans have a near supermajority in both legislative chambers, as well as a solid hold on the congressional delegation because of gerrymandering. Tuesday's election would be the beginning of the end of that. Protosewitz regularly called the state's political maps unfair on the trail, and Democratic-aligned groups are likely itching to bring a case looking to challenge them as illegal political gerrymanders. Oh, and by the way, Supreme Court has already ruled recently, we're not going to get involved in your state map shit. That's bad in some cases, but good where we have this majority. The counties of Waukesha, Ozaki, and Washington, known as the WOW counties, W-O-W, Waukesha, Ozaki and Washington. Love these names to pronounce. They've been a centerpiece of any and every Republican victory in Wisconsin for decades, the Wow counties. But they brought mostly bad news for Republicans on Tuesday. The counties, which surround Milwaukee, have been emblematic of the shift in the state during the Trump era. They collectively have not voted for a Democrat for president since Lyndon Johnson, but have gradually trended more Democratic over the last decade. And on Tuesday, former state Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly was still on track to win all three of those crucial counties, but the margins continue to shrink for Republicans there. Uh, This is a bright red flashing warning sign for the GOP. 
ahead of 2024. And, of course, as I said before, our friend Dina Nina Martinez has won her historic election representing Wisconsin 15 as an alder. She's the first trans woman to win an election in the history of the state. And, of course, over in Chicago, Democrat Brandon Johnson ran away with it, winning by three points there. By the way, Protosewitz, 10 points. She won in Wisconsin by 10 points. So thank you, Wisconsin. Thanks, Gen Z, for turning out. Thanks to the youth vote. We appreciate it. It's going to make an impact in the state, but also it's going to make an impact in the U.S. House of Representatives. So let's swing over to Michigan for a second to look at the future of Wisconsin. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has signed a bill repealing the state's 1931 abortion ban. She recently got rid of right to work there in that state, a huge win for labor. Whitmer was joined by doctors, reproductive rights advocates, and lawmakers on Wednesday morning in Birmingham for the historic bill signing. Michigan had a law from 1931 on the books banning abortion without exceptions for rape or incest. It also allowed doctors and nurses who offer reproductive care to be prosecuted for that care. Michiganders turned out in record numbers to get Proposal 3 on the ballot and voted to enshrine reproductive freedom into the state constitution after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe. Whitmer said the state government will not interfere with the decisions made between families when it comes to childbirth. Quote, we know that that the decision when and whether or not to bear a child is the most consequential decision economically that a family or a woman will make in her lifetime. The government has no business getting in the way of conversations between women and their doctors. The bill signed on Wednesday repeals two state laws, one that makes it a felony to administer an abortion to a pregnant woman unless deemed necessary to preserve the life of the mother, and another that makes it a misdemeanor to sell or advertise medication for an abortion. You couldn't even advertise it. Both repealed. And we have majorities now in, you know, the governor's mansion, state, and the state house and the state senate in Michigan. And Wisconsin, you're on your way. Thanks to the the election this week. It's just, it's, it warms my heart. And a Delaware judge is saying that he is going to force Fox Corp executives Rupert Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch to testify live in the defamation suit against Fox News and Fox Corp. Delaware Superior Court Judge Eric Davis said Wednesday in a public hearing that lawyers for Dominion Voting Systems would need to issue trial subpoenas to force their testimony. And he said, I would not quash it and I would compel them to come. It would be my discretion that they come. Dominion's attorney asked the court to compel live testimony from the Murdochs, former House Speaker Paul Ryan, who sits on the board of Fox Corp., uh, Viet Din, a Fox Corp executive, all that in a letter to the court on Wednesday. All four can be compelled to testify, the judge said. Lawyers for Fox News and Fox Corp have argued that Rupert and Lachlan should not have to testify in court, pointing to Rupert's age and the lengthy deposition he already gave. But in a recent hearing, Judge Eric Davis was skeptical of those arguments, noting the elder Murdoch travels widely and had recently been engaged to be married. The fight over live witnesses who will appear in the Wilmington, Delaware courtroom this month is the latest in Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation suit against Fox News and Fox Corp. There's a public hearing in the case on Wednesday at 2. And in a Tuesday filing, attorneys for Fox News agreed to let hosts Tucker Carlson, Maria Bartiromo, Lou Dobbs, Janine Pirro, and Sean Hannity testify live in the case. And in that hearing Wednesday at 2, the judge says, you have to do it. Dominion's attorneys are keen on forcing the Murdochs to testify because their involvement in election coverage and how that's a key component of Dominion's case against the Fox Corp. 
The voting system's manufacturer alleges Fox damaged its reputation by promoting phony claims that it was tied to a late Venezuelan president, namely Hugo Chavez, and paid kickbacks to politicians and rigged the presidential election by flipping millions of votes for Donald Trump to Joe Biden in 2020. The jury will be instructed that those claims are false following Judge Davis's summary judgment ruling on falsity last week. Jury doesn't have to decide whether these are false or not. The judge has already ruled that. And from Laura Kelly at The New York Times, Twitter on Tuesday evening added a label to NPR's account, National Public Radio's account on Twitter, designating them as a U.S. state-affiliated media company. And from Laura Kelly at The New York Times, Twitter on Tuesday evening added a label to National Public Radio, NPR's account on the social network, designating the broadcaster, quote, U.S. state-affiliated media, unquote. The move comes as Twitter has announced sweeping and unevenly enforced changes to some of its policies, like the verification checkmark system, under the ownership of Elon Musk, who bought Twitter in October for $44 billion, a lot of which came from Saudi Arabia and China. Twitter's guidelines define state-affiliated accounts as outlets where the state exercises control over editorial content through financial resources, direct or indirect political pressures, and or control over production and distribution. Other news media accounts with the label include RT of Russia and Xinhua of China. But the actual state-run media of the United States, Stars and Stripes, doesn't have this label. According to a cached version of Twitter's published policy, for much of Tuesday, the guidelines noted that NPR and the BBC of Britain did not receive the label because they were state-financed media organizations with editorial independence. The reference to NPR has since been deleted from that policy. So it wasn't the policy as to why they didn't have that label, but then they gave them that label and deleted that from the policy. Quote, we were disturbed to see last night that Twitter has labeled NPR as state-affiliated media. That's John Lanzig, chief exec of NPR, in a statement. NPR stands for freedom of speech and holding the powerful accountable. It's unacceptable for Twitter to label us in this way. Now, Isabel Lara, NPR's chief communications officer, said the broadcaster had not been notified that the label would be added to its account and had learned of the change only when it appeared on Twitter. She added that NPR had contacted Twitter, but has not heard back. She noted that on average, less than 1% of NPR's annual operating budget comes in the form of grants from the government-funded Corporation for Public Broadcasting and other federal agencies and departments. Less than 1%. And anyone who can't see from the very beginning what Musk is doing, that Musk is dismantling Twitter and, and the sharing of ideas on behalf of foreign bad actors just simply isn't paying attention. I mean, he, we thought, remember when he banned all those journalists? Now he's taking everybody's check marks. Uh, throttling their uh, engagements. So, anyway, I, my, my check mark's still there. I, I, I expect to lose it anytime soon. They keep sending me messages. Pay us $15 a month. It's $15 a month now, by the way. Or if you're an organization like MSW Media Pods, or actually Muller She Wrote, when you think about it, it's $1,000 a month. Yeah, no thanks. No thank you, pal. All right, everybody, we'll be right back with the good news. Please stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone, it's AG, and my go-to for cosmetics now is 100% Thrive Cosmetics. It's more than just a beauty brand. They're high-performance products. They're First of all, they're formulated with clean, skin-loving ingredients. No parabens, no sulfates, no phthalates. They are certified 100% vegan, and they're certified 100% cruelty-free. But what truly sets them apart is their goodwill, their dedication to giving back. That's why Cause, C-A-U-S-E, is in cosmetics. 
It's right in the name, Thrive Cosmetics. They support organizations that help communities thrive with every purchase. So not only will you look and feel beautiful with their products, which are so easy, simple to apply. You know, I'm not a huge makeup wearer, so it just they make it easy for me. Um, it's easy to to remove. It's just it's so feels so good on my skin. It's absolutely wonderful. So not only will you look and feel beautiful with their products, but you'll be making a positive impact on the world. I am so glad I got introduced to Thrive Cosmetics. I was immediately impressed by the quality, the salon spa quality of their products and their dedication to using sustainable and environmentally friendly practices. That's big for me. I decided to try their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It's their number one blockbuster product. I've been hooked ever since. It makes my lashes long. It curls them. It coats them in these little tubes. It stays on. It doesn't run. It doesn't smudge. Even when I, you know, when I get a little dusty in my eyes, you know, watching those cat videos on social media. But it comes off super easy with soap and water. It just slides right off. It's a hassle-free addition to my daily routine. And I love that I can feel good about using a product that works and makes me look beautiful, but it supports the many causes I care about. Thrive Cosmetics has become a must-have in my beauty regimen. I'm eager to explore more of their products. Uh, I also have their little highlighter pencil that goes right under the eyebrows and in the corner where your tear ducts are to really pop, makes your eyes pop like crazy. So you have to try Thrive Cosmetics to see it for yourself. Right now, you can get an exclusive 15% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E, medics, cosmetics.com, thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans for 15% off your first order. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news. Good and news. if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, idioms, uh, if you have any fun swears you want to share of shit kids say, uh, shout out to somebody you love, a shout out to an adoptable pet in your area or a local business that you want to promote or your business. If you're a maker or a creator, we have so many amazing makers and creators in this community. Send it to us. Send us all your good news at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, first up, from Jen, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies. Good news. Tape boxes aren't just for cats. My three-year-old husky Malamute Shepherd mix, Alpine, promptly sniffed, licked, and plopped herself right inside the box minute. That's after I put it on the floor. My 14-year-old Palm mix, Bear, wouldn't have anything to do with the box. One of the picks is my baby snuggling with her baby dog. I couldn't start my day without you both, so keep up the great work. Mochi and the axolotl send you both love. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, look at the puppy. Puppy hugs. Yep, right in the box. But a little bit off the side, right? Because that's my dog with the dog bed, half in, half out. So it's like wants to be in the box, never quite makes it into the box. And the Pomeranian is like given the uh, like the raised eyebrow, like really sus about this whole tape box thing. So adorable. All right, next up from Devin, they, he. Hello, Beans Queens. I started listening just this year, but could not resist when I heard the request for a rat king. Alas, <laughs> instead, I have a rat prince. Meet Prince Regal Vanilla Beans. He came to us with the name Beans, but we decided that wasn't enough for this beautiful ratty boy. Rats are such sweet, wonderful pets. They love to cuddle and groom you with lots of teeny tiny kisses. Unfortunately, they do have a short lifespan, two to three years. So Beans is no longer with us, but he gave us so much love and memories while we had him. I also wanted to thank you so much for the attention you've been bringing to the assault on trans rights. Living in Florida oh, has definitely been scary lately. I can't even imagine. 
but I'm glad that you're calling out DeSantis on his fascist bullshit. Thank you for all you do in giving me laughs and hope in these dark times. Devin, thank you. And look at the rat prince. Oh, so adorable. It's a white rat with little pink nose. Oh, he's got some tan on his back. So very adorable. And, you know, I had a I had a rat when I was in high school. Her name was Maleficent. She was fantastic. Very regal. Oh, look at this baby. Oh, so cute. They're so curious. And I do love their little whisker kisses. All right, next up from Servant of the Void, pronouns she and her, the void being the black cat. Uh, A not tape but still a square cat offering to celebrate indictment day. Jinx is back. She doesn't like tape squares, but she loves her paper bags. Not open ones that she could climb into. Oh, no. She requires them to be folded flat so she can sit on top. (laughs) There is one in each of her favorite rooms. That's awesome. And she chooses her bag over her cat bed most days. All bags must be carefully moved and replaced during house cleaning because proper positioning is expected upon replacement. After all, these are her happy spots. Thank you for all you do as we wait for indictment day to become indictment season. Thank you, Servant of the Void. Oh, I remember this kitty with the little white patch. Oh, so cute. Yep, right on the bag. So funny that you pick them up and vacuum and then place them back down right where they go. Ah, we are servants to our kitties. Next up from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. Greetings, Leguminati. Oh, look, it's a Newfoundland. After three rough years of working in pharmacy during COVID, my attitude toward my fellow Wisconsinites had soured a lot. However, we elected Judge Janet in a landslide yesterday, right fucking 10 points. There is hope for us yet. Although after hearing the concession speech from that whiny bitch, I feel like there's no hope for the Republican Party. The fact that the arraignment was yesterday just was the cherry on top of the day. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all you do. You and this community make the news more bearable. I appreciate all the legal explanations. As pet tax, here are my three babies. Finn is the Newfie, Bailey is the Retriever, Newfie, and Australian Cattle Dog, and Penny is Border Collie, an Australian Cattle Dog. Thank you so much. Look at these babies. That's a lot of dog. I mean, how much dog food do you go through? These, these dogs, I imagine, eat quite a bit of food, quite a bit of kibble. All right, next up from Andrea, pronouns she and her. I wrote in February about being made the chief election inspector. Yes, for the largest polling place in Madison. Yes, I was thinking about you yesterday, Andrea. I must have done a good job in February because they put me in charge again for yesterday's Supreme Court race. <laughs> it was an exhausting 18 hours on my feet, but so, so worth it. Of the 4,050 registered voters at my polling place, 2,505 cast a ballot. That's 62% of registered voters. My best friend's ward did even better with 69%. Nice. The state as a whole embraced the opportunity for fair maps and abortion access. So enthusiastically, in fact, that the AP called the race for Justice Janet at 8.53 p.m. Central, less than an hour after the polls closed, before many precincts, including my own, had even reported our results. The gap only got wider overnight. And more good news. In early March, I put the daily beans in my ears while walking my dog, and I heard your interview with Madison Common Council District 15 candidate, Dina Nina. I'm not in her district, but I liked what she had to say. So I pulled out my phone and shot her some money on the Act Blue right there while waiting for my dog to sniff around for a spot to take care of his business. Fast forward to that evening when I attended a fundraiser for a candidate in a district next to hers. I struck up a conversation with some folks and quickly realized I was talking to none other than Miss Dina Nina herself. I immediately blurted out, oh my God, I heard you on the Daily Beans this morning. We had a good laugh about it and took a selfie, which I've attached. As of last night, 
alder-elect Dina Nina is now the first trans council member in Madison history. In an illustration of the importance of showing up for local elections, she won by 54 votes. I'm sure I'm one of several Beans listeners in the Madison area. So by giving her a platform, you put Dina Nina on our radar, which got us involved and enabled us to help get the vote out for her. We did it from top to bottom. We freaking did it, y'all. Thank you. For pet tax, here's a picture of my dog, Aiko. A few days after her spay, she had a hard time with the cone of shame. So we went to the donut instead. Mmm, donuts. She remains a very good girl. Oh, look, it's Dina Nina. <gasps> 54 votes, you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. I wonder how many people we helped get out to the polls there to help put Dina over over the top. Okay, the donut on the doge, very adorable. Thank you for sending that in. And sorry, get a little uh, choked up. But my Thrive Cosmetics mascara doesn't run. Am I right? <laughs> you guys, seriously, we did it. I fucking did it. I said, vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. And you did. You did this. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see what Dana, Nina, and Janet do. Um, it's going to be incredible. Congrats, Wisconsin. I will be back tomorrow in your ears. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Boat blue over Q. And you brought somebody with you. Thank you so much. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. 
I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.